begin with a confession. In December, when it was unseasonably warm, I prayed, Dear Lord, send us a little cold air. <laughs> we're good now. Uh, we're good. Uh, I'm done. I won't pray that anymore. Um, it never fails. As soon as I think I would enjoy living somewhere cold, and I know this is not cold. I get it. I get it. But that's my whole point. It gets to this, and I go, no, no thank you. And uh, we were out yesterday, Tony and I and the kids were at the fair for a few hours in the afternoon, and, and it was pretty chilly. And I know some of you were out last night at the fair because you're crazy um, and, and, and stuff. And poor Christy down here, a Ashley, those of you, many of you know Ashley, she showed, um, I'm going to use the wrong language, cows, cattle, heifers, and steers. And she was part of that this week, so they were there all week long. And um, I'm impressed Christy's still awake right now because she was out late and, and got a chance to see that. And it was a lot of fun, but promised to make it short, which I did in the first two services, but I got a special one for this service. So uh, anyway, um, but it is, but, but with all of that, in all seriousness, we are praying that people are doing okay along the, um, you know, the eastern seaboard and part of the country that has been covered in snow. I don't know what they're doing like in the Carolinas, when Tony and I lived there, two inches of snow shut down Durham. I mean, shut it down because they don't have, they're not equipped for it. So I know a lot of Maryland and the Carolinas are getting a lot of snow. We pray, you know, people are safe and, and doing okay as we celebrate soon to be 70 degree temperatures uh, here in Florida. Now, uh, before I read the scripture this morning from Luke chapter 4, I want to do, um, I want to do a little word association, a little mental exercise in these moments before I get to the scriptures. Very, very simple. I'm going to share with you a, a few, a series of words, some descriptive words. And I want you just to allow yourself to recognize the first thing that, or people or group or image that comes to mind. As I share these words, just recognize in your own heart, in your own spirit, what you see, what you think of, where, where your mind goes. This isn't anything we're going to share. This isn't anything you're going to have to tell anybody, but I want you just for self-reflection to, to recognize where your mind and where your thoughts go. So here are the words for our exercise this morning. The first one, the poor. The poor, the poor. What do you think of? What do you see? Whose faces come to mind? The poor. The second. The captive. Or the prisoner. Who comes to mind? What do you see? What do you think? What imagery? So the first was the poor. The second is the prisoner. The third, the blind. The blind. Who, what, do you see? And then the fourth, the oppressed. Just make note. The poor, the prisoner, the blind, the oppressed. Who do you see? Just sit with that for a few moments. And let's hear 
Jesus' words to us today, which will make those words make sense, if you will. Chapter 4, Luke's Gospel. This is Jesus as he returns to Nazareth. This is Jesus returning to his hometown after his ministry has began and he's been in the wilderness and he's been baptized. It says at verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it had been written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Visit Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. And when the sky was shut for three and a half years, there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to the widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd, and went on his way. Friends, sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Lord, give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, but spirits to respond to your word and your call upon our lives. We pray in Christ. Amen. I think it was the early 90s, if, if I'm getting the dates right, um, that... A West Virginia doctor, in doing some research, came across an interesting phenomenon. And that was that all 50 states of the Union were proclaiming that their students were scoring above average in standardized testing. Hear that again. All 50 states were proclaiming that their students were scoring above average in standardized testing. Now understand, it's not possible for everybody in a collection of data to score above average. It can't happen, or else you don't have an average. By its very nature, there has to be a bottom and a top in order to get an average. But yet everyone was claiming that our students were above whatever that 
indicator was. And so he started researching it. And I think, I don't know if it was a book or a study that came out of that, but it got attached, at least to this phenomenon and others, got attached the title of the Lake Wobegon Effect. Now, how many of you are familiar with Lake Wobegon? All right, there's a good number of you. Um, Garrison Keeler. Garrison Keeler, uh, in, in, I think it's Prairie Home Companion, uh, talks about Lake Wobegon. And Lake Wobegon is described as a place where the women are strong, all the men are good-looking, and all the children are above average. <laughs> okay? The Lake Wobegon effect. And it speaks to the fact that we have a tendency, or Lake Wobegon effect speaks to the, the, the nature to overestimate your qualifications. For anybody who overestimates their, their skill or their qualifications, that's called the Lake Wobegon effect. And we see this in our society in a number of ways. In fact, there is no place that it gets more, this is more clearly seen at least from a from a uh, media perspective, than in the television show American Idol. I don't know how many of you watch that. Tony and Cassidy have been watching this last season of American Idol. I don't, by nature, watch the show, but I'm around enough, so I see. And if you're familiar with the show, it accentuates two extremes. And this is the way they do, do it on purpose. There is very talented singers and musicians that get, I mean, every season. There's a lot of talent. But the other thing you see is a lot of people who don't have talent but inevitably think they do have talent. See, that's the problem. That's what, it's not that they don't have talent. It's that they don't have talent and they think they have talent. And that's what makes the show, and that's kind of what, that's what people tune in to see. In fact, I venture most people watched it in the early days more for that side than for the talent side. And you see this in smaller scales. Go to a karaoke you know, sing any, or a talent show, you'll see this kind of stuff. But it's that tendency we have to overestimate our own capabilities. And the truth is, we all do it. We, we all do it to some extreme. And we need sometimes to make an honest assessment of ourselves. We need some, some honesty. There are times, I, I talk a lot about the danger of what I call navel-gazing, or I've picked up, other people call navel-gazing, which is looking inwardly and kind of seeing our own needs and, our, and looking at ourselves rather than what's around us. But there are times we need to do a little bit of that. We need a little bit of self-assessment. We need to look honestly at ourselves, not to feel worse about ourselves, not to, not to erode our, our confidence or our sense of value or self-worth, but to position ourselves to truly hear what Jesus has to say. Because this text can slide right by us very easily if we're not careful. And when I see slide right by us is we hear it, and I look out upon us as a church, as I have at each service, and we're a fairly um, comfortable, um, accomplished, well-off group of people. And what happens is we hear these words what Jesus says, I've come to proclaim good news to the poor and freedom to the captives and sight to the blind and, and, you know, to let the oppressed free. We hear that and we think that's really good for them. I'm glad Jesus spoke that to those who need to hear it. Because we hear those words, poor and blind and captive and oppressed, and probably we don't think of ourselves. In fact, 
just for your own reflection. You don't have to, I'm not asking for a show of hands, I'm not asking for you to, but just as a kind of a rhetorical question, how many of you, when I asked you to think about the group or the people or the faces that came to mind when I said poor and blind and captive, and how many of you thought of yourself? How many of you heard those words and thought, yeah, that's, that's me? Now, I know a few of you did because a few of you after worship came up and said, sometimes because of physical connections and physical needs, and sometimes because you've got a really good sense of yourself. But for most of us, for me, I hear this, and I think, man, that's really good. Jesus did that for them. Didn't he? He did it for them. Well, I think what Jesus wants me to hear and us to hear is, no, 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 no. No, I'm talking about you. I'm talking about you. And so let's talk about that for a moment. Is it possible, and it is, that we are a lot poorer than we think we are? That we are a lot poorer than we think we are? Because the reality is, now, now some of you in your mind, you're going, amen. Boy, you don't know the bills I got to pay. And I get that, and that's serious. Don't, I'm not just missing that. There are some of us in here that do struggle with money, and, and that's not to be minimized. That's not to be diminished. Uh, there's the, the story of the woman having lunch one day with her coworkers, and she was just eating um, cre- or, um, cottage cheese. And one of her uh, coworkers said, are, are you trying to lose weight? And she said, no, I'm just on the low-salary diet. You know? <laughs> Okay, uh, that's, that's a real thing, and I, and I don't make light of that. Uh, one guy described himself, he was so much, in, so much credit card debt, he said, I'm, I'm the leaning tower of Visa, you know? <laughs> that, that kind of stuff. That's real, and that's significant, and that matters. So, so that's not diminishing that. The, the, the problem is we have a very narrow view of poverty. We have a very narrow view of wealth, if you will, and we think of that in a materialistic sense. And most of us would say we don't, it doesn't apply to us. I don't think too many of us would put ourselves in the category of being poor. But maybe we need to expand that definition. A few years ago, a number of years ago, in a Time magazine, Mother Teresa was asked about the materialism of the West. And this is what she said. She said, I have learned that the more... I'm sorry, the more you have, the more you are occupied. She goes on to say, the less you have, the more free you are. Hear that? The less you have, the more free you are. Poverty for us is a freedom. It's a joyful freedom. There are no televisions here. Know this, know that. This is the only fan in the whole house, and it's for the guests. But we are happy. I find the rich poorer. She continues, sometimes they are more lonely inside. The hunger for love is much more difficult to fill than the hunger for bread. The real poor know what is joy. What happens is we have created a very small category for what poor means. And in that category, a lot of us wouldn't put ourselves. But could it be that in our pursuit for wealth, for material, for comfort. We have created poverty in other places in our lives. That we have created poverty in our relationships. We have created poverty in our dependence upon God. We have created poverty in our pursuits of the things of Jesus. That in seeking to become wealthy, we've become so terribly poor because we just don't understand the fullness of what that means. 
I read a testimony not too long ago of a couple that had been very comfortable in life that both lost their jobs. It's, it's unfortunately not a, a terribly uncommon story. They'd lost their jobs, and life took a drastic turn. And for a year, they really struggled day to day. And they talked about that year. And they said it was during that year that we truly learned the goodness of God. In, in what had been, in some ways, the toughest year of their life, they said, we learned the goodness of God. Yes, they, they may have become poor in one area, but they became so much richer in so many other ways. Jesus says, blessed are the poor. You know what he said? In, the, in, in the Gospel of Matthew, blessed are the poor. Philip Yancey says that term, and that word could be described as lucky. Lucky are the poor. That's not a way we would normally describe it. But then in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus said, blessed are the are the poor in spirit. He reminds us, poor looks a lot different than we may think. Maybe we're a lot more poor than we recognize. And maybe we're also a lot more blind. Maybe we're blind because in our pursuits, in our desire to find what matters, in our pursuits of the things that we think that are important, we fail to see or our vision has become very narrow. And, and, and I, I want to confess to you, as, as I was putting this sermon together and I was thinking about this, this is the way my prayer, sometimes my prayers get a little off kilter, which is fitting for me. But I was praying and I was thinking about this and, and vision, and I was thinking, Lord, what is it you want me to say to them, to you? What are the things they need to hear? What are the ways that their vision has gotten off? What are the ways that they have become blind? And I hate it when God does this because he kicked me in the pants. And he said, hey, maybe you should start with you. Where are the ways you have gotten blind? What are the things you don't see? What are the things that your pursuit of ministry and, and professional achievement and, and comfort, what are the things you don't see right underneath your own nose? What are the ways your relationship suffers because you're not attuned to the needs of your wife? What are the ways that your kids suffer because you're not attuned to the needs, the things you don't see, the needs around you that you've become blind to because I've become very myopic and very short-sighted? And I wish that was a small list but it's not because I've become blind. Over and over, I fall into that trap, and I know I'm not alone. We are poorer than we think we are, and too often we're blind. We just don't see what truly matters. And so the irony in that is that we celebrate freedom more probably so than any country on earth, and we have reason to. We are blessed, and for those of you that have served, hear me Thanking you for that. I'm thankful that we live in a country where we are free in so many ways. But yet, we've become captive in so many ways as well. Because in pursuit of the things that we think matter, in pursuit of the things that are kind of handed to us generationally, we create barriers that don't even need to exist. But we became caged. During the Cold War, between what is now the Czech Republic, which was a communist country, you know, and Germany, there were electric fences. There were three um, layers, I think, of electric fences and armed guards to keep people in communist countries from fleeing to freedom. And during the Cold War, over 500 people were killed trying to flee uh, what is now the Czech Republic into Germany. And so those fences and those barriers essentially kept people on their side, which is what fences do. And they kept people confined, especially 
in, in the Czech Republic, or now the Czech Republic. Well, during the Cold War, those fences came down, which was years ago. And so now, um, and well, well, let me back up before that. So what happened was people were not only confined, but animals were confined. Obviously, you're on one side of the fence or the other. So, so the natural migration patterns of animals were somewhat thrown off, and, and animals couldn't pass because those were electric fences. It didn't matter whether human or animal, you couldn't pass them. So those fences come down. So now we live in a time when people can pass freely and animals can migrate freely. But scientists have found that there is a, a species of deer called red deer. They do not cross that border. If they're in the Czech Republic, they do not pass into Germany. If they're in Germany, they do not pass into the... As if those walls were still up. What's ironic is there's not a deer alive in their lifespan that ever saw those walls, that ever saw those fences. The lifespan of a deer is 15 years, and the walls have been gone much longer than that. But yet, they still behave as if they are confined. They're still, because it's in their head. And so scientists are fascinated how this is getting passed down generation to generation among deer. But the barriers and the walls are in their head, and they're no less real than if they were up. What happens for us is we get captive to things that, that we create, walls that divide people, walls that divide obedience, things that, that confine us. We, we think we're free, but really we've just chosen our cage. And Jesus says, I've come for the blind and for the poor and for the captive. And when Jesus says it, He's talking to us. The question is, do we see it? Because our tendency is to think he's talking to them. But that's not the truth of his message. And isn't it interesting that Jesus comes into Nazareth, and it's a small town. We're not talking about thousands of people that would have lived here. We're talking about hundreds. It may not have been any bigger than our congregation is. And the local boys comes home, and they're proud of him. And he speaks so well, and he looks so good, and he's dressed so nice, and he's up there, and he reads from the scroll, and oh, that's our Jesus. But Jesus doesn't know well enough to, to let go. And not only does he read the scripture, not only does he proclaim it as being fulfilled, but, but he says to them that you, you're not going to accept me. You're not going to receive me. And that's not an uncommon thing. He goes on to say that in the time of Elijah, the widow was not the only person in need, but she was the one that was served, and she was a foreigner. And he says in the time of Elisha, there were a lot of people that had leprosy, but it was the Syrian. It was the foreigner who was healed. And that's when they become angry. And they become angry because Jesus is doing two things, I believe. One is the obvious. He's saying, hey, by the way, this blessing isn't just for you. This is for all people. And they didn't like that. And they didn't take kindly to it. But here's the other thing I think that he's saying to them. I think the other thing that set them off is I think that a light bulb went off. And they realized that this Jesus is saying when he talks about the blind and he talks about the poor and he talks about the captive and he talks about the oppressed, what the heck? He's talking about us. He's talking about us. Who does he think he is? And they reject him. Because they can't see themselves for what and who they really are. They hear those words and their response is, who? Me? No way. No way. 
and they push him away. When we don't see ourselves honestly, we do the same thing. We do the same thing. And here's the tragedy. When we don't recognize the need, our need, we miss the blessing. They missed the blessing. See, they were so focused on the words blind and oppressed and poor and captive that they missed what Jesus was saying for them. The good news, this is not a depressing, judgmental text, but they couldn't hear it. Hear again the words, I've come, the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. He has sent me to proclaim recovery of sight for the blind. Oh, and to set the oppressed free. Jesus wants us to recognize the truth. of. He wants us to deny this Lake Wobegon effect that doesn't see honestly who we are. Not so that we'll feel bad about ourselves. Not to pile guilt upon us. Not to make us feel less than. But to recognize that in recognizing our need, we open our hearts to receive the one who meets that need. In recognizing our captivity, we open our hearts to Christ who frees us from our chains. In recognizing our blindness, we we open our hearts to the one who gives us sight. In recognizing our poverty, we open our spirits to the one who meets our need. The question is, as we hear Jesus, we ask ourselves, who is he talking about? Me? Yeah. Yeah, he is. He's talking about you. And he's talking about me. And that's good news. That's good news, because in our need, he sets us free. In our poverty, he gives us wealth. In our blindness, he gives us sight. Yeah, who, me? Yeah, you and me. And for that, for that, we should truly be thankful. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we are challenged to see ourselves honestly, not in a way that would pile guilt or judgment or condemnation upon us, because you don't do that. Rather, when we recognize our need, like Naaman the leper, we can come to the waters of healing and forgiveness and grace. That is what you came to bring. The tragedy is the people couldn't see it. The question is, can we help us to see, Lord, and to respond in faithfulness and obedience? and gratitude. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.